We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. G'day, church. Hey, I just want to acknowledge Jess, who's walking over there. Jess is our uh, number uno uno keyboardist. And uh, this morning she got a call at about quarter past seven in the morning. Hello. Our keyboardist can't make it, can you come? And within half an hour, Jess was here. And I just want to acknowledge how, what a gift that is to us. So thanks, Jess. The second option was Ursula. So thank you so much. <laughs> there have been many times in my Christian life, which now numbers around four decades, where I have felt that I'm not sure how this thing called following Jesus works. Sometimes the mud that I'm stuck in or the mountain that I'm to climb but I'm at the bottom of or the cliff that I'm to step out from in faith just seems way, way too hard. There have been times where if I was Nehemiah and I was tapped on the shoulder from God to build a wall in the middle of enemy territory, I would have said, yeah, count me in. Where do I sign up? But there are many times, countless times, where I would have run and hid in the cupboard hoping that he would never find me. I recall one particular season in this journey of mine in my early 20s where I was stuck in a habit of sin that I couldn't shake. The mud just seemed too thick to get out of. The mountain of righteousness for which I was to climb and God was calling me to was way too high. And the faith step to let go of that which I thought had life in order to grab hold of that which God tells me had life was far too stretching. I recall trying and trying and trying. Discipline, accountability, prayer ministry, vulnerability. I would succeed and I would fail. I would feel triumphant and I would feel defeated. I admit, I was desperate. One night, I had a dream. When I woke from the dream, I knew that God had planted the dream. I woke feeling like God had spoken to me himself, but in pictures. I was in an old wooden house, single story veranda all the way around the outside. Paint was coming off the slats of the house. In fact, it was more like there was no paint at all. It looked like the kind of house that you would see in a movie in the deep south of America in the 50s on a farm somewhere. Whimsy curtains blowing in out of the broken windows, floorboards creaking as you walk down the hallway. But it was empty. No one was there except me. I was hiding. I was scared. I remember in my dream, my heart was racing. It felt real, like I was awake and I was petrified. I remember looking out the window as the curtains blew in and out through the broken panes 
seeing the house surrounded by zombie-like figures, bodies almost petrified like mummies, crawling, stumbling, racing towards the house. The half-broken doors hanging from the hinges and the brittle windows weren't going to help keep those out. I'd seen enough movies with evil beings like that to know that these defences weren't going to hold. In my dream, I ran around the house looking for something to defend myself. And all I found was an old musket. An old school gun that you need to load with gunpowder and pull the firing pin back before you pull the trigger. But instead of using gunpowder to prime the gun, I was using potato chips. I had a packet of potato chips near me and I was crushing them into where the firing pin was supposed to be. I was putting my musket out the broken panes of the window and lining up these zombie-like figures coming toward their house. And I was firing, but instead of a gunshot, I'd get potato chips just splash all over me. I'd pull back the primer again, I'd put the potato chips again, line up again and try again. The terrifying creatures that surrounded the house had made it to the veranda stairs and I woke up. I remember being in a sweat, panting as I sat up in the bed. It took me a minute to orientate myself and realise it wasn't real. But straight away I knew it was a whisper from God. And straight away I knew the interpretation. You will never defeat the enemy and overcome with potato chips. The mechanisms you're trying won't do it by themselves. You need to immerse yourself in the Word of God. And then Hebrews chapter four came to me. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It was so simple, yet so profound. Renewing the mind and heart through soaking in the Bible was the backbone that was going to help me shift and overcome. If I was going to rebuild myself in thought and action, any strategy that left marination in the Bible out was doomed to failure and experience thus far in my Christian walk had taught me that. And what I love about the book of Nehemiah is that it sings the same tune. Because in chapter seven and eight of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes from rebuilding to the wall to rebuilding the people. And the mechanisms he uses as the backbone to rebuilding the people is marination in the Word of God. It goes like this in chapter eight. If you've got your version app, open it up. Bottom right-hand corner, more events, life point. You'll see all the notes and the verses there. When the seventh month came, 
And the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one person in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra and the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Seemingly organically, the people of Israel come out together on the first day of the seventh month, which is like our New Year's Day. The Jewish equivalent where they celebrated things like the Day of Atonement, the Feast of the Tabernacles, Feast of the Trumpets. And they gather together as the time where they make new commitments like we would on New Year's Day. And this was the perfect moment for Israel to rediscover relationship with God, to to forge a new journey in their relationship with God. And so they all gather seemingly just organically at a venue near the water gate, which is just so beautiful because water in the Bible means the Word of God. So they gather at the water gate. They've pretty much completed the wall. They've fended off multiple attempts from the enemy to bring the rebuilding to a halt. And the first thing they do, first thing, is they call out Ezra the priest. They call out Ezra the priest and they want him to read out the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now Ezra had lived in Jerusalem 14 years before Nehemiah arrives on the scene. And Ezra had experienced firsthand alongside the people of Jerusalem the demoralising years of a lack of momentum. Remember, they had come back from captivity for 70 years where they had no king, they were under foreign leadership, they didn't have a home, they had no sense of hope. They finally come back to Jerusalem and year after year, Ezra the priest reads them the Word of God, prepares his message, stands up and preaches it. And year after year, there's still hopelessness. Jerusalem still feels demoralised. There's no movement toward what God had called them to be and to do. But still Ezra wants to inspire them. He wants to remind them that there is hope and that God wants something special for them. Noah, Moses, Abraham, God can resurrect us. (coughs) Says this about Ezra in Ezra chapter 7. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teach his decrees and laws in Israel. So he's doing this day after day, week after week, and nothing happens. But now, people of Israel have seen the miracle. The wall's been rebuilt. God's done something. There's been movement in the kingdom. First thing they do, Ezra! Ezra, bring out the Torah. Come and read to us. Remind us again who God is. (coughs) It would have taken Ezra by surprise. You can imagine him in his office. He's preparing this week's sermon. He's thinking, what's gonna work this week? And he hears through the window, Ezra, 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 Ezra. Maybe his aide comes in, Ezra, Ezra, they want you to come down to the water gate. They want you to read. What? Yeah, serious. Grab the scrolls. Ezra grabs all the scrolls off his bookcase, tucks them under his arm and he runs down to the water gate. They've already built a stage. 
Ezra walks up to the stage. 13 other men are on the stage with Ezra. Thousands of people are gathered in front of Ezra, ready for Ezra to read the Word of God. What was he gonna say? He didn't have time to prepare a ripper message. What was gonna work in this moment? What, what could inspire the people when there's thousands gathered in front of him? So Ezra just starts reading. Just opens it up, die. You're beautiful, thank you. He opens it up in Genesis, just starts reading. <coughs> Easiest sermon prep ever. I'm gonna try it one week. <coughs> Scripture tells us, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra starts reading when the sun comes up and he stops reading at midday. Six hours he just reads to the people of Israel. There was hunger from the people now to hear the heart of God. They experienced His power. They had seen the enemies fended off. The wall was completed. They were reminded now through experience that God was alive and well and they wanted more. And they hung off every word as Ezra read. Noah's Ark, the faith of Abraham with Isaac, Joseph's journey and rise to power, the burning of the bush, the 10 plagues, the exodus, the crossing of the sea, story after story after story, reminding them of who God is and His love for His people. And Nehemiah chapter eight, it tells us they didn't do it for the first day, they did it for a week. Every morning they'd gather as the sun came up, as thousands of people gathered and Nehemiah would start reading for seven days, for 42 hours, they soaked. Change and transformation in you and change and transformation in me begins when you have a hunger to hear from God. God, speak to me. God, direct me. God, comfort me. God, instruct me. God, lead me. God, whisper to me. God, surprise me. God, I long to hear from You. Do you ever read those passages in the Old Testament like Isaiah chapter 26, it says this, my soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. Have you ever read that and gone, what is he on? Psalm 119, my soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all time. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. You wanna be in a different place in 12 months than you are now in your journey with God? It starts there. A longing to connect with God, a longing to hear from Him, to know Him, to know what He wants, to know what He wants to give, to understand His heart, to attempt 
to grapple with His grace and His love revealed through the pages of Scripture. If you feel stuck in the mud at the bottom of the mountain or balking at the edge of the faith cliff, hard work and discipline and hoping things might change won't work in and of themselves. It's potato chips. You will be in the same place in 12 months that you are now. Transformation begins with a longing for intimate relationship with God and yearning for Him to reveal Himself to you through the Word of God. The people of God had longing. Do you long? Start their transformation will follow. When Ezra read the Word, there must have been some moments where he paused because there were people among the crowd that would take questions from the people and help them understand what they were hearing. It was one thing to hear it and to sit under it for 42 hours, but they wanna understand it. What were we hearing? What does this mean? What does it mean for us? And look at their response in verse nine. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. That's their response. They all burst into tears. They start crying, they start weeping. Now in past, because they are struck at the core of the gap between them and God, they realise how fast to the east their unrighteousness is compared to God's righteousness in the west. They realise that over the past decades, they have been cynical and disobedient and whiners and faithless and independent and rebellious. And they break, they weep. They weep of just how far short they have fallen from the expectations of God, which is exactly what Romans 3 says. Through the law, we become conscious of how far we have fallen. But if you stay there, if you stay in a place of weeping over your sin, then that's when guilt and shame have an avenue to set up camp. And the Word of God is not designed so that shame and guilt can set up camp. It's designed to reveal and move you on. It's like a little country town out Western Queensland. You go, you visit, you buy coffee, and then you sleep somewhere else. That's what the Word of God is. You see, you reveal, you see who you really are compared to God, and then you move through the weeping, you move through the repentance to the next place. And this is the next place. I love this, verse 10. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, it's a sacred day, don't grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. It's that moment where repentance and grace 
Yeah, it's that moment where we have a revelation of just how far short we fall, but simultaneously a revelation of just how much He fills the gap through His grace. You know that moment where your head and your heart realising that you're deserving of the worst of punishment? That you are deserving to sit in shame and condemnation because of the things that we've done that fall so short of His expectations. But instead of those things, He fills the gap with grace and forgiveness. And Nehemiah teaches us that that's worth grabbing the champagne and popping the cork for. That's the moment the son returned home and the dad grabs the fatted calf and calls all his friends and says, my kids come home. The gap's been filled. It's the moment where the woman with 10 silver coin loses it. She finds it after looking all night and in the middle of the night, she grabs all her girlfriends and says, come on over. I'm gonna spend that coin in celebrating that I found it. It's that moment where the shepherd disappears, leaves his 99 behind, comes and says, I'm gonna look for the one that's missing. And when he finds it, he comes back and he gathers his friends together and says, I found it. Let's celebrate the gap has been filled. Isn't that worth a moment of joy from us that the gap's been filled? Isn't that worth a moment for us to celebrate and rejoice, to grab the fattened calf and the choice one and go, that was me, but it's no longer. I've moved through the weeping and I'm into joy. This is what Jeremiah says, when your word came, I ate it. They were my joy. They were my heart's delight. Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to my heart because I realised I was lost, but now I'm found. You will not transform your life if you keep using potato chips, but you will transform your life if you allow yourself to sit in this, to bask to soak, to marinate, to pickle, to submerge, to immerse yourself in this. To sit under the spoken Word of God through His Scripture as He whispers, as He calls you to lean in. Listen, I've got something for you today. I wanna speak to your heart today. I wanna reveal something of myself to you today. Are you listening? Lean in. It's the dead poet's carpe diem moment, isn't it? Lean in and listen because the Holy Spirit wants to speak. And one of the beautiful ways He speaks is by revealing Himself through Scripture. Over your Christian walk, like I have, you will gain lots of tools and lots of strategies by which you can be victorious in your Christian life. And I have met many people in my ministry life tell me, AB, I just don't read. 
I just don't read. I want to encourage you. If you don't figure out a way to allow yourself to immerse yourself in Scripture, you'll be the same person in 12 months that you are today. You know the amazing thing is? If you start today, tomorrow you'll be a different person than you are today. So Father, I pray over us as a church, all of whom have access to your word in multiple platforms, in multiple ways. I pray that you begin in us a longing, a longing to hear from you, a longing to receive from you what you have on offer every day. You might draw us in and you might do all the things you promise in Scripture in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. I pray particularly for those today who do find it difficult to get into your word. Lord, would you help them find a way that's simple, that works for them, where they can hear your leading and your guiding. So as we stand and we sing, we want to declare that you are the God that's going to make a way for us. You're going to figure it out because that's your job. We'll just commit to pushing in and listening. In Jesus' name, amen.